City University Television presents the American Theatre Wing Seminars. Working in the theatre. This seminar, performance. working in the theater seminars, now in their 30th year, coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. Professionals are brought together by the American Theater Wing for these seminars to help provide an insight to what it's like to work in the theater. Today's seminars are six leading performers. We hope to learn not only about their preparations for a career in the theater, but also about the drive, passion, and temperament needed to survive in the theater. I'm Isabel Stevenson, Chairman of the Board of the American Theatre Wing. I would now like to introduce our moderator for this seminar, television commentator Pia Lindstrom. Pia. We've got an absolutely terrific panel. I expect to hear great things today. <laughs> Starting on my right, the fabulous two-time Tony Award-winning actor John Cullum, dignified beyond belief, yeah. who is now in something called Urinetown. <laughs> Explain that. Edie Falco, of course, we know from the HBO series uh, The Sopranos, but she is on Broadway, extraordinary in Frankie and Johnny and the Claire de Lune. Thank you. Leah Salonga, we know because you're always on Broadway. <laughs> Flower drum song, Miss Saigon, a young woman who's been working, I remember, since you were seven years old. That's right. Stanley Tucci, writer, actor, director, producer, also in the same play with Edie Falco. And Charlene Woodard, who writes her own material. That's three right. times you've done one-person shows, and uh, that's a good thing for an actress to do. <laughs> and at the very end, but not least, Marissa Jarrett Winokur, who is our new heroine on Broadway in the big hit Hairspray. Welcome. Thank you. Marissa, when I was reading what was in the playbill, you said that you had a teacher who found your voice. Yeah. How can somebody find your voice? Well, I, um, this teacher actually, Eric Vitra, was my voice teacher, and he actually found Tracy's voice, I said, because my voice is much different than Tracy's voices. My voice is low and husky and raspy, and Tracy's much more, she's 16, and she sounds more like Leslie Gore. So I took about two years to actually figure out how to place my voice into a 16-year-old sound and my voice into that, into like a more of a nasally and airy voice that a 16-year-old 60s sound would sound like. So this teacher worked with me to find that. You mentioned a true teacher. Yeah, Don What's Walters. a true teacher as uh, opposed to a false teacher? Oh, well, I think a true teacher is one who finds the inner soul of a student and doesn't just teach the conventional ways, teaches the ways that makes a student learn. And this teacher, when I was in sixth grade, realized that I had a lot of energy and I wasn't a great student, but he realized that I had a lot more to offer in other ways. So he pushed me towards music and drama and theater and dance and to show that, you know, you don't have to be a great 
you know, reader or great mathematician, but you might have other things that, you know, you can give to the world. And he really brought that out of me. So I found that's a true teacher to me. Uh, it's interesting to me that both Stanley and Edie, you mentioned the same teacher, Q, uh, somebody at CUNY Purchase. Mm -hmm. who, who is this person? Uh, George Morrison. And <coughs> why do you mention him as so important? Well, he was, SUNY Purchase was the, uh, is a conservatory they both went to for four years, though we went at separate times. Edie came uh, right after I graduated. Uh, and he was our, it was a mentor system set up at the time, so he was our teacher for those four years, at least for my four years. You had him for two, two years. Two. What did he do for you? Uh, he did a ton of things, and I don't think I realized it at the time, because I didn't, I don't think I was a good student per se. Um, I was very shy, and uh, there were a lot of students who talked a lot more than I did, but I think it now, a number of years later, I'm realizing just how much he got through to me. Um, he, you know, it's hard to explain what two years worth of teaching is, but he, he there was something very simple about his work and uh, has uh, informed everything I've done since then, I think. John, have you had a true teacher or a false teacher? <laughs> well, I, I, I think I must have had false teachers. <laughs> 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 they didn't even have a course. That, when I was at the Uni University of Tennessee, they didn't have a course in, in drama. Uh -huh. uh, the closest you could get to was a speech major. And I was flunking out of business school, so I went into that. And uh, of course, I, I was doing theater all the time, and I didn't really. Uh, I just had people who influenced my work. Most of them, uh, the people uh, that have been, I think, have been other actors mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. directors uh, too. Uh, and I envy the people who have had somebody who, uh, as you could call, a mentor. Because I, I never really had that. I just had bad examples. It's <laughs> <laughs> always good. Charlene, you're a member of the Actors Studio. Yes. Are, are you a method-trained actress? Well, yes. Well, I went to the Goodman School of Drama in Chicago mm -hmm. and had that kind of training. Um, and then I, I wanted to, when I came to New York City and started doing musicals, after 12 years of musicals, I wanted to get back to what I came to do. So um, um, I joined the studio and I found a true teacher oh. in Geraldine Barron. And um, why is she true and well, somebody she, else isn't? She, well, she was amazing because she, gave, she took care of the total thing. Um, she, there was a philosophy that she introduced me to, uh, the whole thing of having, of actually being very true to yourself all the time and finding out that um, that inside-out kind of work, you know, and using yourself in your work uh, when you can do that and knowing yourself and knowing the world. She, you know, she said things like it's very important for us to go to museums and go to this and, and observe and step out. We don't have the luxury of sitting back in our bubble and just being artists. That we have to step out. We have to get out there and go to the dangerous place or the other neighborhood or get to know the people of the world so that when you make a choice, it's an informed choice. It's not a pedestrian kind of, what's the choice I saw? Uh, it, it's something, it's like you have a huge bag of tricks. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? As opposed to a little packet over here. You know, like that. But she also had a spiritual life. That, a spiritual, that was something she introduced me to. Not like coming in, like, let's do a little meditation or anything. Over the years, you watch. I remember coming in one day, and she said, I came in, I said, I didn't get this audition, they're racist. You know? Right. 
And she said, no, they're not. Just like that. So I didn't understand. She said, you didn't, that's not why you didn't get it. And she, you know, so as time goes on, then you say, what does she mean, no? She doesn't know. She doesn't live in my skin. And, you know, and as you go along and you get really, really honest and true, and it's all revealed to you, um, she taught me to think another way and to see things another way. And that informs my work. Did you have a, a false teacher or a true <laughs> teacher? No. <laughs> no, not exactly. Because I started working so young, yeah. um, the two people that were my first director and musical director were in the Philippines, um, both trained in theater and music and drama here in New York. I think one of them went to Juilliard, and I don't know where the director went to, unfortunately, and it's a bad thing for me to not know. But they always stressed truth whenever teaching even the littlest kids. I was doing The King and I, and they stressed to each and every one, and they, they never condescended to the kids, and they always talked to us the same way they would speak to the grown-ups. And they said, always focus on truth. Whatever choices you make, you can't do something that, would, that a normal person wouldn't do. You, that's what you, talk, you should always do, try to find the truth, always stress the truth. Um, and also, how to project your voice using, they said, use your diaphragm when you project your voice, blah, 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 you know, and, 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 and also, they also emphasized teamwork in doing a show. We were a cast of, I don't know how many we were, and a lot of us were kids, and they said, a show is only as strong as its weakest link. Mm -hmm. So they stressed that everybody had to be strong and work together. So I learned to be a team player when I was seven years old. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and that's... It's not, And it's, it's work. <laughs> it's work. <laughs> You're in Flower Drum Song now, yeah. of course, and you did Miss Saigon, of course, before that, several times. Yep, came back three times. Did it wow. three times on Broadway. Well, you, fun, can fun it, show. you can keep it. Maybe you can do it, you know, 10 or 12 years Fun from show, that. you know, and, and I think it became more fun the older I got because oh, really? the stronger my chords oh. became. I mean, the first time I was doing it, I was like, <sighs> I went home every night, soaked my feet in hot water and salt, and was just completely paranoid about my voice. And the producer would ask me to come back and come back, and I'm like, I do it. I have ghosts with that show. Don't let me come back. Don't make me. Don't make me. And so, and then there was a concert that they were having in London, and he asked me, could you please sing a couple of Kim songs for it? And I said, okay, I'll do this for you. If I like it, if I have fun doing it, then I will consider coming back to the show. Mm -hmm. And a few months later, I went back, and I had a blast. And I mean, it wasn't vocally as terrifying as mm -hmm. it used to be. Mm -hmm. It was just, I was just having fun. I could go out at night afterwards and still have a voice the next day. And, 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 I was, and the cast was incredible and everybody was, was just so embracing and welcoming. And I'm like, I'm having a blast. And, and I just had, a, I had a, the best time. John, when you got the script for You're in Town, here you are, a man who's played in Hamlet and All My Sons. <laughs> Did you just say, this is for me, or you threw it in the rest of the basket? <laughs> this is my personality. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, 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 my manager, Jeff Berger, sent it to me, and he, wouldn't, he didn't tell me the title. And he, wouldn't, he didn't tell me it was about I was in California. And uh, uh, he said, just read it. <laughs> and I read this thing, and I, and I got very upset by it, really. Not, I'm just angry, because some of the lyrics, you know, I didn't know what I was reading. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, I wasn't put out, off by the, by the title so much, uh, but, uh, but uh, uh, the lyrics seemed like a moon, June, spoon, and then it would throw in something about 
instead of, you know, I love you from the depth of my heart, but I love you from the depth of my, my mu muscular tissues or something <laughs> like that. What in the world is this all about? I think, and then I was talking out loud to myself, and my wife heard me talk. I said, this is the worst, I said, the, this has got the worst taste of any script I've ever, listen to this, I mean, there's, there's a thing, the Patty Hearst thing, they take off on his, it's got the worst lyrics I've ever heard. It's a, snuff the girl. Can you believe that kind of song? And then I said, and listen to this. I said, this is supposed to be my big number. It's, it's got a little bunny. A little bunny in the meadow, the nibbling grass without a loud, 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 I read this silly, silly kind of lyric to her, and I looked over for confirmation of my wife, and she, she was laughing. And I said, you think that's funny? And I, she said, yeah, that's funny. And I said, well. And so I, I, I kind of calmed down. <laughs> and I read the daggone thing. And then I, 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 I called up my um, Jeff and I said, listen, I don't know about this. I, what, I, I, it's, it's really kind of weird and wonderful and strange. I said, but what? And he said, talk to the director, John Rando. So I got on the telephone to John Rando and we started talking. And I was fussing and saying, that this won't work and that won't work and I said, what is this about? And then and the next thing I know, we're hooting and hollering and laughing and I think, I'm thinking, there's something here that I'm not, gonna, they're not I don't quite understand why I'm reacting this way to it. And he said, and, and he said, you know, we got some pretty good, and he said, Jeff, uh, uh, Jeff McCarthy's in it. I said, Jeff McCarthy? I said, that's interesting. That's in Nancy Opal. Uh, Nancy Opal's in this? Ken Jennings? Do you, know you mean the guy that was in uh, uh, Sweeney? Yeah. And then, so, well, so I talked to, to John, and, uh, and then what was funny was that I decided to do it. Yeah, then I got the idea of what it was, and I thought, this is going to be a fun, exciting kind of a trip, the kind of thing that I would have done 25 years ago. <laughs> when I showed up at rehearsal, what was strange was that everybody's mouth dropped. I mean, I could see that everybody wondered, why in the hell are you, what's he doing here? <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I, I, I've been in ever since. So, uh, kind of but the that title didn't bother you at all. The title didn't bother me. I probably didn't read it. <laughs> I never read the title the, or the person who wrote it. So I, I, don't, I can't, don't remember names or faces or things like that. But, uh, but I must say, <laughs> some, of the, some of the things that were in there really kind of, I couldn't figure it out. But uh, <laughs> it's turned out to be a wonderful experience. I must, uh, you know, obviously I've been there with it for a year and a half, and <laughs> I enjoy it. It's still running, oh, and uh, oh, yeah. everybody's going well, to say running. That's probably the word. When I get together in a group like this, you know, I get envious of, of all the other people. Like I'd like to be in the show with Edie. Right? <laughs> 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 I'm not going to be flower. <laughs> <laughs> I got the Asian stage. to be in our show. <laughs> <laughs> He's a very good He can actor. do anything. <laughs> I'd love you to share that. the stage with me. That's what I'd like to do that, too. I'm afraid I'd get wiped out on that one. <laughs> you a one-woman show one time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. A one-woman show with a woman wouldn't leave much room for you, would it? Have you ever been surprised, Stanley, by something they sent to you, a script that arrived? Um, no, because they don't send that many. So oh. no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just surprised when a script arrives at all. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why you have to do yeah. your own. Right, you that's why I make my own. Yeah, yeah, another yeah, person yeah, who yeah. does his own. Yeah. Well, Edie, when you, when you were told you'd have to take your clothes off in the first act, you, you say, I, I, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't yeah. say that was my response. But um, I got talked into it partially because they said, well, we're, 
you know, this is the way it was, the play is done. It's written, you know, and these two people get out of bed, and it's, you know, you see everybody's seen that on movie, in movies and stuff. They get out of bed, and they're fully clothed, and immediately <laughs> the audience is gone. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they said, don't. Kathy Bates, of course, did this back in 1987, and, mm -hmm. and this is the way it's done. I'm, it's only recently that I found out that they were not naked. No, I was going to say, I didn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I got totally scammed on this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I have no problem taking my clothes Clearly. off. In fact, I'll take them off right now. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we were told that that was the way it was performed and as written in the script. And, and that if we okay. were going to be professionals about yeah. it, we should stop <laughs> saying, you know, do I have to take my clothes off? Right. We were very anxious, I have to say. We were very anxious. But the interesting thing is that you were the one who sort of picked the play at first. Oh. And then when I was approached, Dee Dee thought, oh, God. Because you didn't know there was that I much nudity. I picked the play from yeah. my memory oh. of it when I saw it with Kathy Bates 15 years ago. I just remember the event. Yeah. I don't remember the performances too profoundly. I mean, not specifics. I just remember it was about two people and, and love. And, was, and I left there mm. with a beautiful, hopeful sort of feeling. And the whole ball started rolling, and then Stan jumped on board, and then I read the goddamn thing. <laughs> 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 and the first they said, you know, they're making what love and they're naked. And I thought, I don't even know this guy. And then he's thinking, and she I was just proposing. asked him to have <laughs> sex with him every night for eight times a week, and I haven't met him yet. Horrifying. Horrifying. <laughs> well, you do sort of have the chic you can work with a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Let's yeah. not get into logistics right now. <laughs> Melissa, were you surprised at what happened with Hairspray? Oh my gosh, so surprised. I was, I was just speaking before, I think I got involved in it over two years ago, and I just got involved in it because I loved the music. I not, that was it. I just loved Mark, Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman's mm. score, and, and I was, oh, I have to be involved in this. This is so good. It was the best music I ever heard, and I said, this is a cheesy off-Broadway show that no one ever sees as long as I get to sing this music every night. Oh my gosh, I have to do this. And I think everybody on board kind of was involved for the same reason. We all just kind of liked the music, and it was a fun story, and Harvey Firestein joined in, and we were all like, oh, this is a lot of fun, and, and okay, this is fun. Well, how did you hear the music? I mean, you, um, you they went had to them they and had, said, I want to do this? They had the first act written before the first workshop. And, um, yeah, I actually did, I heard they were doing <clears throat> the show, and I was like, oh, it's going to be a musical. What's the music sound like? heard the music and said, oh my gosh, I have to meet you. Who's doing this? I have to be involved in this. I don't care what I do in this. Like, it sounds so amazing. The music is so amazing. And there hasn't been a new score like this to me. It's like, an, it's old school Broadway. It's just old Broadway, but, with, but it's new, you know? So that to me, because I'm such, I love the old school stuff. I love the Gypsy. I love, I mean, I, any Ethel Merman show I grew up, like, that's what I want to be. That's what I want to be, you know? So then to like, get to, and then I'm hearing this music that was written, you know, two years ago that's got that same feel to it. And oh my gosh, and the, you know, the first day I listened to it and was in the opening number, Good Morning Baltimore, I just, I mean, bawling that I'm like, oh, I get to sing that every night, like just crying. Now I wake up every morning and go, oh no, I have to sing that every night. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, oh my gosh. After I get through that song, I'm like, okay, only eight more to go. Oh. <laughs> I actually was, I was thinking, oh, oh. I, I hope someday I come back to the show in years from now and think, oh, this will be fun. No, I have no life. Oh. I, I don't, I, everything she said, I was like, that's exactly what I'm going through right now. I have no life, I have no friends, I <laughs> moved back to New York and I'm living in my apartment. Online communication and is my, the my most helpful thing. Yeah. I only wish it would have existed yeah. when I did the first yeah. the first time. My well, answer machine you, actually says... You can come to our cast party. <laughs> <laughs>
soaking your <laughs> feet in salt water. I, I, oh, do you know about that? Is that some my secret? My feet just hurt after yeah. that show. Oh, just, you know, I, never I do the Epsom salts, yeah. Oh, Epsom feet Well, I do the whole bath. Oh, so I got three-inch heels oh. and a very, on the maximum oh. rig. You got I get to wear sneakers, though. Oh, oh, oh. I said, I'll wear whatever you want in the finale, but I'm wearing sneakers. Because I don't leave the stage through the whole, I, for act one, I don't leave the stage. Act two, I leave the stage during one number. That's when Harvey and Dick Latessa sing their love song. And it says on the bathroom door right outside the, my, my dressing room, there's a bathroom. And it says that no one's allowed to use the bathroom during Timeless to Me because that is the only time in the show that I can use the bathroom. <laughs> so like, from the curtain open until act two, halfway through act two, and I mean, and I said to them, I'll wear whatever you want in the finale. I am wearing sneakers in that oh. show. <laughs> but still, my feet, I walk off that stage. The two and a half hours on the stage, I don't feel a thing. Off stage, I'm like, oh, everything hurts. Everything hurts. But, yeah. You don't have this pleasure, except you play many characters on stage. Yes. But you don't have anybody around you here, so you have to give well, up all I'm, the I'm energy. Well, I'm playing, I'm doing everything. But what I, I, I always say that I'm not solo. I'm not alone. Because I use my audience as if they are my scene partners. Oh. So um, as I'm conjuring everything up and everything, I'm, I'm using them. It's, a it's tough when they're sleeping. And, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, I do try. The anger. I, 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 yeah, and it does. And it feeds me. You know, all of a sudden I'm like, I go to somebody to sort of share something and it's like, oh, sleeping. Oh, and then it, you know, changes the way. I, and, and, and that's how it works. And that keeps it alive for me, actually, every night. We heard a guy snoring the other day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. Nice no. And you said, where was his what wife tonight? Yeah. 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 I know. Did she was asleep, too, play? probably. Did you say, wake up? No. <laughs> no, no, I don't do that anymore. No, Edie told me not to. There's people in the front row. He talks to the audience. I don't want to get into it. I used to. Not anymore. Tell them to behave. Well, the phones and all the that. The phones oh, and all oh that. God. People taking yeah. pictures. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And they tell you um, not they do. Yeah. Oh, yes. One night I came out from my curtain call and four women just stood up and said, ching, 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 ching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Harvey <laughs> points. Harvey points at them and goes, uh, uh, uh. Like Harvey, like, points them out when the cameras come out. Oh, I'm yeah. This is a new thing. Yeah. yeah. I've yeah. never experienced that. I actually got a videotape at the theater to my name and it was like, love your biggest fan. And I'm like, oh, my God, what's this going to be? Like, so scared. And it was a complete videotape from the first row mezzanine. No. Still perfect, zoomed in, zoomed. No. I mean, it was the best videotape coverage of the show. And I'm like, and, and nobody, and they didn't no. have permission? No, no. no and they, they no. And, and, she, and she didn't know that she shouldn't do it. Right. And they were oh like, and God. here you go. I mean, I was psyched. I gave it to my understudy. I was like, here you go. Best way to learn my part. You know, and there you go. But and then I got to send it to my niece, and they get to see it now. But like, still, oh yeah, I couldn't believe it. That's amazing. Scary. Yeah. How does the audience affect you when you begin taking off your clothes? How does they what? <laughs> How does the audience affect you as you begin taking off your clothes? No, well, we start. I mean, we they start naked. Start naked. We start completely naked. So I, it really is, you know, I, I, it really is the the one real sequence in the in the play where I do not know that they are there. Uh, I am completely. Mm. I, I divorce myself from the fact that I'm in the theater and I'm in a small room with her and that's it. And <clears throat> once that's over, I still am shocked when I open my eyes after the act. And 
I see those people uh, out there. I still am, my heart still mm. sort of, mm. well, I did that thing I wasn't supposed to do. I did it already once, too. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yeah, I didn't want to say anything. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, I my heart still jumps when I see that those people are sitting there watching With us. With binoculars. With binoculars. Oh, so my so God. Oh, no. Yeah, in the, oh. in the front row, too. Oh, we have a Saigon, too. We know. Oh, yeah, but the, the girls yeah. would fondly call those, those dirty old men who'd sit <laughs> in the front row with binoculars. Yeah. Oh, the pervs are here. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Life theater. I was in, the, I think, probably the first uh, uh, Broadway show with frontal nudity with the males. Most people didn't know that. I was in a play called Doubles. It was in, in a locker room thing, and Austin Pendleton and Tony oh. Roberts and I. Um, but I, all I can remember about it was I used to stand up stage as far as I could with, with a very convenient towel. <laughs> Austin Pendleton couldn't wait to take his clothes off. <laughs> <laughs> And Tony Roberts came to me one day, you know, and he came and said, I can't understand why I'm losing this line. I said, I'll tell you, if you I'll give you a, a clue. I said, if you can get Austin to drop his drawers one beat later, you'll get your <laughs> <life>. <laughs> 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 That's funny. <laughs> How do you audition for that, dude? <laughs> <laughs> Very carefully. No, they didn't say take your clothes off. No. No, we, we, didn't take, we didn't actually get to the nudity stuff until like two nights before we opened. Yeah, that's yep. right. They yeah. probably didn't tell we you. We waited till the very end. Yeah. 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 And then you just do it. And do then you once you do it, the first time was nerve wracking. I blacked out. I yeah. had no memory of that. It was pretty frightening. <laughs> first day. It was pretty frightening. And then, the <laughs> and then it's fine. After that, it really was not, it's not that hard. Yeah. Do you all have to audition? Do you have to audition, for example, now? Haven't people seen? you enough so um, they don't say I didn't have to audition for Flower Drum I was asked over a very nice burger at a very nice cafe by Bobby Longbottom if I wanted to do the show so it was it was nice and like wow <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was really sweet required otherwise do you Stanley have no they, 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 they came to I auditioned for Edie's part I gave you this part I thought well fine and then I took your clothes off no I was no they they came to me uh, and are you, do you do many auditions? You I am always working. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> you have to audition for yourself. Yeah, I, I write these plays so that I can get other plays. I you see. see. No, not, not just for that reason, but it does help me get other plays. And since I've been writing these plays, um, I have not auditioned for the plays that I've gotten. Um, I'm not, a, I, I hate auditioning, but I will. If there's a role that I really, really want, I'm just going to do everything I can to get it. Mm -hmm. But it's just such, it's been a luxury in the, in the theater not to, ha I mean, just to have them offer to me. It's mm -hmm. been wonderful. Why, do, why don't you like auditions? Well, I've, I've never managed to um, nail it. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I actually, I think I, I realized when I, I, would, I learned how to audition, uh, I would go in, and do a perfectly professional audition, and it would be so boring, and it wouldn't work. You know, I mean, I mean, it just wouldn't. This is me in the music and musicals. Uh, then I realized, I said, okay, so when I'm Alfred and Dorothy Woodard's daughter, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So I threw her away, and I go in and just wing it, just wing it, mm -hmm. and it, with the musicals. And somehow someone remembers that. Oh yeah, I think she can sing, or I oh. think she can do this, <laughs> and they just give me that. Haven. They missed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, in my play, I write about how I really did try to flub that audition. You what? Know? How? It you tried. 
Oh, yes. It's a whole scene in the show, child. Oh, oh <laughs> No, you have to come see it. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, yes. It's all about when I came to New York City and I, tr you know, I was uh, uh, in this hit Broadway musical, but I had never had any training to be in a hit Broadway musical. Oh. And there is I there was. Is there training for the Oh, quick. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um... Uh, uh, Melissa, I would I, think you would be good at auditions because you seem so courageous. I'm great at auditions. <laughs> I like I nail the auditions and then I get, and then on the set I'm like, no, 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 what I did at the auditions, that's exactly what I'm going to do now. I'm not going to do anything different. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I always like make the joke that like, if, and my manager even, he won't even, if they just want to put me on tape and just do sides, I'll never do it because I won't get it because it has nothing to do with me walking in and doing sides and wowing you with this great interpretation of this scene. I'm like, if I don't meet the director, if I don't like meet the producers and go in and just chat and I'm like, this is who I am. This is, I mean, I'll do, I, obviously I'm not, I'm not, this isn't Tracy Turnblatt, but you get like, oh, she's going to be completely fine and confident with herself and her body and who she is and she can do that. And, and I, I go in, like, I, I basically am a mess, and every, I'm like, hi, oh, if you want me to read sides, let's talk for, like, 20 minutes mm -hmm. first, and I'll, like, mm -hmm. do everything but do my audition, and then once I get to the audition, it usually seems like they're like, oh, we, we don't even remember what she did at the audition, I think. It's more about what... Who she is. Who, who I am, and oh. then it oh. usually, my, my experience has been every TV thing and every movie thing I've ever filmed has always been from... Pe like a writer like writing something for me and making it or like I'll go in to do like one line and it turns out to be a recurring role and you know and I always <laughs> say like I'm like and I always like, I don't so turn funny. down Jeez, this is great but like go with Tracy but for the hairspray I fought for two years for this role mm -hmm. they would not give me a contract they would not close the deal they wouldn't even say yes or no they basically were like my last my last reading, our fourth reading we did, my fourth reading in two years, came in, it was December 8th of this, you know, past year, and they went, the entire production staff flew to Baltimore to have their big nationwide search for Tracy Turnblatt, and there I was, oh. singing my heart out in the rehearsal hall, going, oh. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I'm Tracy Turnblatt, <laughs> you know, and oh. so, and like, you know, and half of me, like, during the process, like, after the second workshop, I was like, well, either give it to me or not, forget it. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh no, like that's fine. And for me it actually, I never would have grown so much in this role had it not been, had they just given it to me May of 2000, I'm not being bitter, I know exactly the date. Not <laughs> 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 given it to me, had they just said to me, this is your role, I never would have found a voice teacher to go, how can I make this work? Mm. I never would have gone to, I didn't go to dance because I, I was like, you know what, Tracy's not, a dancer she's more like it's more aerobic it's more athletic it's more about that she's just it's more about her spirit than it is about her you know technique so you know I went I started doing aerobics and started running on the treadmill with my songs and and then like the acting the scene work was that was gonna come once I met the other actors because for me it's it's never about what I do it's about like I am so blessed with such a wonderful ensemble because to me it doesn't matter like I ah I envy, I can never do what you do. Like, that's just, I'm always about whatever Whatever someone else gives me, I'll give them back. So, you know, so I've done a lot of bad, cheesy sitcoms because <laughs> I've had a lot of cheesiness coming at me, so I'll be right back at <laughs> But I had to fight really, 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 really hard for this role. And, I mean, even all through Seattle or out of town, I mean, 
they were still, everybody was really worried and really nervous, and that would make me really worried and nervous. But it just made me, and then I got a review in like Variety that said like, oh, well, she's not quite the dancer you want her to be. And in, in Seattle, I got that review. And then that was it. Then it was like all about me and Michelle Lynch, who was our like uh, uh, Jerry, Jerry, uh, he's our, Jerry Mitchell's assistant, and it was like eight hours a day. I was like, you are going to make sure I know every dance better than everybody on this stage. Even at, you know, like even when I'm dancing in my room to the TV, I'm like, I, I'm going to know it better than the dancers down there, so that nobody ever comments on my dancing <laughs> again. <laughs> so then I was so glad that then I was like, I don't care now if they say I can't sing and they say I can't act as long as they say I can dance. <laughs> so I was so angry about that. So for me, it, because I had to work so much harder for it, I, I mean, I never expected the show to be the hit that it became. Nobody involved it, and I think that that's why it is such a wonderful show because no one on stage expected it, so we're all... We're all such a close family. We all, I mean, I don't look out at the audience except during Baltimore, that's it. And after that, I don't think I face front even once because there's so much going on and I have moments with every ensemble person and they're, everybody's so important in our show that it's so great and I'm so glad that it all happened for everybody with our show. Edie, are you always comfortable on stage and comfortable in auditions? Um, no, I hate auditioning. I really hate yeah. it. Um, I was never good at it, I don't think. There's something about having to prove yourself to mm. someone that mm. seems to go yeah. against everything that we do, you know, yes. uh, uh, instinctively as an actor. Like um, somebody was just saying about when people offer you a role, there's something so different about the experience of working on that thing. Because you walk mm -hmm. onto the set or onto the, into the theater, you know, rehearsal hall knowing they wanted you. Mm -hmm. There's something about you that they, they already trust you. Mm -hmm. So all that stuff is out of the way. You can just yes. go in and start the work, you know. And you're clearly all there for the same reason, to make the story happen. And they think you're the best person to have that, to make that happen. Um, auditions, I, I, I'm, I'm not a good uh, salesperson, you know what I mean? And I've gotten so bad about it now. I'm like, you know what? You don't, you don't want me? That's fine. I'll go home and sleep. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm just too tired to fight for stuff anymore. So. Is it shyness? Is that a component of no. it? Or is it No, I don't think it is. Um, Do you get angry? You I think a lot of actors, I, I know myself, yeah. and yeah, oh I yeah. get angry having to audition. I got yeah. humbled once. And it comes why? through you in the audition. What? I got humbled once. I'm resenting right. it. It was, it was an right. interesting experience. But why, why do you get angry? It's a co an anger, I think, is for me, it was always a, uh, um, a kind of a shield. I, know, and, and I felt better about myself if I could be pissed off at the audience. It's a terrible, terrible experience auditioning. Yeah. And I've never, I'm, I hear these stories and it, I've been through all of these things. Oh my God. And you're better off when you're, when you're free and relaxed. And all, but how do you get free and relaxed when people are out there judging you? I well, know. I also think that so many directors, I've had terrible experiences auditioning and I was a very fine experiences auditioning with very nice directors. And, but I hate it if I never had to do it again, and mm. I hope that I pray to God sure. I don't have to do it again. It's um, hard. It's awful. It's but so a hard. lot of directors don't know, uh, f don't know how to deal with actors in an audition, and I think that that really is the the problem, that they they really don't know how to run an audition. And when I started directing, one of the things that that I was very uh, was very important to me was to make actors feel comfortable in mm. auditions, mm. to talk ah. to them first to have somebody not do a scene, even if the guy was completely wrong for the part or, or really bad, I would have them do it more than just once. Mm -hmm. I would have them do it two or three times because 
I might learn something, and they might learn something. I might say, oh, you know what? I see why he didn't make that choice the first time or whatever. The, my goal was to make those people feel as comfortable as possible because so many people in my life had made me feel so terribly mm -hmm. uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and sometimes you have to audition actors. I would prefer not to audition actors, but you have to because you really need to see. A director isn't sure, but if a director isn't sure, the actor has to know why the director isn't sure. Mm. And that is the problem. Directors don't make that clear, and that's why it's so excruciating. Maybe you know, know when I give advice to, uh, like if I have a, a son who's an actor, and I try to give him advice, which he never follows, but we do talk <laughs> about it anyway. <laughs> but the one thing that I, I think, if I could had it to do over again, would be to try to be myself, because everybody wins. Mm -hmm. If you go in there and what, what most actors have to do is go in there and try to be what they think the producer wants. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's and the pit. The That's everybody hard. loses in that right. situation. Right. But if you go in and you're just absolutely as honest as you probably I heard you say that, didn't you say it? Yeah. And, and just yeah. as if you, if, you, if you, then the director knows more when he gets through, even if he doesn't want to use you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful that Stanley does what he does because that's really, that's, it's, it's well, we can all be so lucky, though, yeah. Mm. Uh, what happens and, and with me, I, I try to, um, I try to show, when I go into an audition, I do try to show up as I am, and then I do the work, and I feel like if, I don't, if they don't want me for this part, they know who I am. Right. So they can call me back, um, this human being back again, and for something else. <laughs> but if I just go in as this this, um, this, these two pages that they gave me, mm -hmm. then I'm really messed up. Mm -hmm. And just in case I blow that yeah. and... Um, <laughs> What's well, yeah. so frustrating sometimes, too, though, as an actress, I'll go in and do my, <laughs> do my me, and then, you know, <laughs> read the scene, and then they're like, thank you, and you leave, and then you'll get feedback, and they're like, oh, they wanted to go a different way, and you're like, well, why didn't they just tell me that? Because mm -hmm. so many times, they're, you know, they'll say, well, we wanted, we wanted her a lot quieter, or I'm like, well... Just because I'm such a big mouth doesn't mean I can't be timid <laughs> and shy. But, but that's the problem. That's right. what I was saying, is that they, they don't know right. how to do it. They right. don't know how. They don't say, could you try it this way? Right. Yeah. Could you try this? Could you try that? And you see what facility the person mm -hmm. has. And also you're discovering maybe what you need to find for the role mm -hmm. as, a, as a director. Because you just make your own choices yeah. as an actress. You're like, oh, this is how I read it. Right. Just tell me what to do. And you, you don't know. sometimes you don't even get the whole script mm -hmm. or you don't get what the whole, what, how sure. everyone's going to react to The problem is directors yeah, then continue to do that after they've hired you. If they yeah. don't tell you what, what <laughs> they're doing. Yeah, they know. It's so Well, I, wanna, I have a question I want to <laughs> ask people. Uh, when, you, when you do get a script and you have it, how, how do you judge whether to do the script or not? Now, you, you, you were very honest, and I believe that. You, you remembered something, and then, then you decided to read it after Stanley took the job, and you knew you were going to have to do it. Then you right. I've done that, too. I've gotten into a lot of trouble. Uh -huh. well, one of the things, how do you figure out what, what you want to do or whether a script works or whether, what you want to do with it? That's what's interesting. I never have me, been able to figure if, it if out. If it hits me on a visceral level, uh -huh. when I, um, George C. Wolfe sent me um, uh, Susan Laurie Parks' is In the Blood. And um, I was in La Jolla at the time doing a play, and I, I went to this beautiful place to read this incredibly intense play out in the sunshine at the beach. And, you know, I'm reading, and, you know, I'm like looking at this, and I'm, you know, this is ridiculous. If George thinks I'm going to do this, they're crazy. This is wild. And I hung, I, you, know, you know, closed it up. I finished it. I had to get to the theater. It was coming on half hour. I'm driving down that, this, this highway, and all of a sudden, something happened to me where I felt like I was having a, a panic attack. And, I, you know, like, 
something is going on really wrong and I don't know what's happening. And I pulled over and had this major, major catharsis that was uh, postponed as, you know, when I, from when I was reading this play. And then I got back in the car after I controlled myself, went straight to the theater, called George and said, I have to do it. Because it was scary, it was challenging, it was, it was a reach. It was such a reach. And the fact that they thought that I could make that reach. And I saw, yes, this is the beginning of this play. Yes, I don't know if we're going to really have to do some work on this play. But that's why, that's what, it's not, it's not perfect here right now. But I want to work on this thing because it's so powerful. I want to do this. It's a reach. And that's what I go after. You know, I just, I love that reach. Do you like it when there are stage directions in a script so that says what you're supposed to do? Or do you like the scripts without any direction? Well, I, mm. think they're I think they're important. Uh, and I think that there's no harm in trying them. Mm -hmm. And then if it feels right, then do it. Otherwise, get rid of it. You don't, there's you no don't feel that you are obliged no, to do God, it. No, no, no absolutely something. not. No. Uh, what's more important than the text or the director? John, for example. I have to answer that. No, Leah will answer it. <laughs> oh, I will answer it. Um, I, I guess ultimately, well, everybody might have a different take on it, but I think the material has to lead you somewhere. Mm. Um, case in point, let me see. Uh, there was all of this material for Flower Drum Song, and we got rewrites upon rewrites, and, and thank goodness David was in the room with us every single day you know, just ready to pen out a different line or a different way of, of delivering something, even though it means the same thing. Um, and that, that's pretty much our map. We've mm -hmm. got a map, okay. Then you've got Navigator, you've got the director to tell you which way, to, to help you which way you can, you know, try going. Um, so, yeah, you've got to have a good, good, good script, too. It, it's really helpful if it, if it is good. Can the director change enough to make something a hit? And, Make it good. The well, material isn't actually they there. You can try. You can try. You can try. Well, but been I, think yeah, I think if the material isn't, if you don't have good material, it's just saying it ain't going to work. You can't yeah. pull it together. No, so it doesn't so. matter who the director is. No, I don't think mm -hmm. so. I don't think so. Because I think a good, a good script will ultimately direct itself, and then everybody will kind of have a similar thought into mm -hmm. how a scene will be done. And mm -hmm. you all can mm -hmm. kind of ride mm -hmm. the same ride, and you're all feeling kind of, it's kind of like a, I don't know, some psychic moment of mm -hmm. some sort. And, mm -hmm. and you just all kind of, when you finish with the scene work, you're all like, whoa, was that a ride or what? <laughs> it's fun. You <laughs> know, the reason why I asked the question yeah. is because over a period of my, my life, I've had so many different experiences with different roles. Mm -hmm. And I remember when uh, uh, they asked me to uh, audition for uh, uh, 1776, I wanted to do the John Adams part. And uh, then, but they, they kept asking me to do the Rutledge part. And I turned down the Rutledge because Rutledge was the governor from South Carolina, and I didn't want to play a Southerner. <laughs> I had never played a Southerner. In, 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 I'd always played Englishman or something to hide my identity. And then a year later, I'd been doing stuff in the, in the regions, and I called my agent and I said, I want to do something. I don't give a damn what it is. I want to stay in New York. And they said, well, they, you know, they're replacing the, uh, the, the Rutledge character in 1776. I said, sure, I'll do it. I knew I'd get it. I knew that. But my attitude about it was so... So so uh, so strange and and, and uh, negative, uh, and yet I knew 
after, I mean, after all these years, I knew that there was something that I was supposed to do. I mean, mm -hmm. I, it was a, an area that I was supposed to break open. Mm -hmm. So like the same, t 40, 30 years later, uh, when they asked me to do uh, uh, All My Sons, mm -hmm. I had been in an, a production in, in 1947, 50 years earlier of All My Sons, played the neighbor next door in college. <coughs> and I, I was very reluctant to do it for a totally different reason. I was, and I didn't realize, but I was afraid to play that part because I didn't like that guy. Oh. Oh. And, uh, uh, and the Rutledge was so easy for me and I didn't want right. to do it. But it was very important for me to, and, and I've, 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 it's been making me wonder. Now I'm looking back over years that I can, you know, but I'm wondering about young people. How do they make this, it's strange that uh, you don't know. And I wonder how do you might find out what you don't have to like the character. Like you're, you're, you know, you had an epiphany. You, you had to pull over the side of the road. There's not much doubt. That's the role you're supposed to do. But I have a question. Sometimes you don't know. A question. I have a question. It's been in my experience, and and it's kind of worked like in parallel with my own personal life that I get a script or I get offered a part and for some reason it directly reflects on what's happening in my life. I just want to know if, if that's happened to anybody else too. <coughs> like it comes at the, right, at the right time in your life and it's, it's, it serves as an outlet or, or a channel for you to work through whatever's going on in your life. Yeah, I, think, I think you choose things sometimes unconsciously mm. for, yeah. for that reason. That, I think that that's mm -hmm. probably true. That is what it yeah. is, I think. When you, even when you're scared or when you're disdainful, or then you've got to, you ought to take a second look just like you did. See, you, you, somebody else told you, God told you, or whatever it was. But <laughs> yeah. I think that that's an interesting point. That you're, We don't have control all the time over... Mm -hmm. Of, of, of the best things in us. See, I don't work. I work from the outside. Uh, 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 I don't know even the expression. Inside out. Inside out outside and outside in. in. I think that's but the you're, you're the British. <laughs> you're in the British I'm side. Now I'm hungry. Thanks a lot. What you see is what you get. No, but the truth is, probably I don't. I probably, there's something that works, and it's working inside for me mm -hmm. anyway. So right. I, mm -hmm. it's interesting to me. Are you uh, inside out or outside in? It depends. You can go both ways. That first scene is working on the outside. Well, the British, <laughs> I think. The British. <laughs> I wish I knew. I'm going to ask you, Stenzo. I don't know what it is. <laughs> he doesn't have to do anything in it. No, it's it's not, don't touch it. If it's working, don't touch okay. it. <laughs> we talked about it. Just don't touch it. Just don't touch it. I don't want to know. John tells me that he only does how many performances a week? Oh, I'm not supposed to tell people that. I only do six now. <laughs> oh, this is totally unprofessional. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's shocking. I think eight a week is cruel. Eight a week is shocking. It's, it's, it's not too bad. It's so civilized. And you have to film as well. Edie and I are... Are you finished? No, this is my hiatus, so I'm not Your hiatus is eight shows. How many performances a week? Eight. Eight. Okay, eight. I do seven. Seven. Mm -hmm. Get one on. But I have a two-hour well, I was the only one in the show yeah. for a year who didn't miss. Ah. You get points well, for that. I did miss, but my wife had to go to the hospital. That's what I missed. The mm. time that I, in, a, in a year. So, I mean, I've done my, I've, I did my time. <laughs> what? Trust me what makes okay. a difference all through the years you did eight shows a week? Why now? Well, do you I'll take? tell you what the difference is for me. It's when I, I remember when I came into the business, eight shows a week with a Wednesday matinee and a Saturday, um, you know, the matinees on the, on the, the four on the weekend. That I could handle. What was really tough is when they switched to 
five on the weekend. Yeah. That's so right. then you only have Monday to recuperate from five shows. Bam, 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 bam. Oh. That, and then come back on Tuesday. By Tuesday, you're still aching. Yeah. You know, and you get just, it makes it so difficult with that five thing, but it's good for the producers, for the money and everything, and the people coming into town. I can usually handle that Wednesday, if you have that Wednesday matinee. It's not as bad, but the five. Yeah, well, we I'll tell Wednesday you the reason. That's exactly the reason, because uh, we were on that same schedule. The reason, Isabel, is that uh, I was... I'm having trouble with a hip flexor because there's, this is a very dangerous show. We've got mm. we're the walking mm. wounded. We've got people with broken feet and then perform all the time. Yeah. And, but I I couldn't get well after a year and a half. It'd be like mm. uh, playing baseball mm -hmm. for an entire season and not having three months off. You don't get any time off in actors. Uh, right. Don't get time off. Very interesting. Just this makes no sense at all. But when I was doing Men of La Mancha. I heard about a production that was being done in the, the stage manager order to open a production in Spain of, of Man of La Mancha. And I was playing Col Kylie's alternate at the time. Kylie wasn't doing the matinees, and I was doing the matinees for him. They went over there, and the, the director, the, the stage manager came out and he said, Do you know that they do, they do seven days a week over there, and they do a matinee every performance, Ooh. and there are no understudies? Ooh. Ouch. What? How do you figure that? How do you figure it? Uh, all I can say is that no union, no union. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. that's it. But that's true, and that, that's in Spain. That's the way they do it. I, mean, I, I, I guarantee you, they don't get the same kind of production that they would. Uh, well, yeah. of course they were, not. Yeah. I mean, if you ask a pitcher in baseball to pitch every day, or an opera singer to sing every day, they can't do it. Oh, I think that's a different thing. I think working in the theater and doing your performances eight times a week should be what your goal is. That's, that's because you're thinking like a producer. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to do it. I've been doing it for 45 years, and I've done nothing but eight performances. That's and I'm right. telling you, I did it because if they wanted me, the only reason I could get it, if you want to know the honest truth is, I'd walk away. It didn't make any difference to me. I don't have to work. And, uh, I, and I, I would simply leave. That's... That's the arrogant John Cullum talking about that. They can get somebody else to do the work. has changed too. I enjoy doing that show. They're doing amazing things. I mean, musicals are almost competing with movies. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on that seems like that is just like the level of the work has gotten so so high. The risk of injury and you know, I remember at one point someone we were doing something. They gave us hazard pay. And oh, think, no. you know, you can no, get, yeah. you get, can get hazard yeah, yeah. pay because you can hurt yourself yeah. with these rakes and these things. And, oh, you the know, rakes. You yeah. can hurt yourself. Yeah. Oh. You go into the Goodness. theater. I, I'm, I'm in the theater right now. It's freezing cold for some reason. It's oh, freezing cold. Oh, my God. So I start so the, the show being very pleasant. And then in the middle of everything, I start these kicks, you know. <laughs> and now my warm-up is worn off, so I'm doing these kicks. And my hams are like, ning, ning, ning. You know, it's just like, whoa. And then you don't have time to heal those hams. How do you heal your hamstrings? You have to stop stretching them for two weeks. But you keep doing it in the cold every night. You know, people oh, have to take to into consideration that actors he are human beings. And we are working with everything Oh, yeah, we I asked have. a stage manager one night doing our show, and it's like, okay, why is it so cold? It's freezing. I've got practically oh. a ski suit costume on, and I'm still freezing. Why? Oh, because the audience needs mm -hmm. to be... So they don't go to sleep. It's like... That's right. And, like, oh, and, and you consider that we kind of have Harvey, to do this every, every day? Night, every single night. 
every night, from day, from opening night, we have an argument. I think it's too cold. He thinks it's too hot. <laughs> so, so there's the poor stage management. And they will turn off the air vents for us. And they'll turn them right back on for him. Yeah. So I'm out there on stage, and I'm like looking at him, like I am so cold. <laughs> and he's like, and he's dripping with sweat. <laughs> I know that's why I don't and understand. And I literally have goosebumps on my arms. And I'm like, and like some of the ensemble girls have now asked to have like sweaters put into their costumes because they're just so cold. And and so then like then like there's an air vent where one of my quick changes is. Can't have like have a person wherever he walks and yeah, it's just yeah, on yeah. him. It is the two of us he's every night. It, we have that same argument every night. He's like, "You must be warm. You must. You must be happy tonight, Cookie." And I'm like, "I know. I'm going. I knew. Then the next night, I know I'm going to be freezing cold." But you'll yeah, get your we revenge fight in the summertime. Every single night, we fight about the weather. The oh cold my gosh! And but I unfortunately wore a scarf during rehearsal in the 80 degrees weather outside. So like, my say has nothing anymore because they're all like, "Oh, she's always cold. She's always cold." Oh, so then I'll be like oh. poking on everyone, going, "Go complain. Isn't it cold? Isn't it cold? Isn't it cold?" <laughs> Yeah. It's cold oh, yeah. now. It's just cold yeah. and wet and icky. It's just yucky, and it's not the nicest weather to sing in because you just, you know, Wednesday yeah. matinee is the hardest thing, and I'm just praying, dear God, yeah. no phlegm. Not right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need it right now. I'm standing there yeah. trying to be the picture of serenity with my mouse suit and a drum. Yeah. And I'm looking out, <laughs> and I'm like, dear God. Not, and I can feel it creeping oh. up slowly, <laughs> half inch by half inch. You have to finesse the phlegm. And I'm like, oh, a hundred million miracles. It's true. And so the thing is, the once that speech comes out, and I feel like, oh, God. Altoids no. eat the phlegm. Altoids are good. I'm going to sit in the back row right here. So what do you do? I, every time throat. I run off stage, my dresser hands me an Altoid and a chug of water, and because I have just like a hair change or and like the music is literally just waiting for me to come back and I just chew on Altoids just to keep the phlegm down. Oh it's my I god. I suppose none of you drink milk, is that true? Or is it say no that's dairy. supposed to cheese, no dairy or that's lots of water. Lots of water. Lots of water. Yeah, because water. Water. yes, it keeps everything. Oh, I have to set the record record what? straight here though. When I go into another show I'll be doing eight shows again. And if, uh, <laughs> 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 there you go. Well, Edie and I are, are, are freezing over here. Huh? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wore a jacket. I had a feeling. <laughs> is it more competitive, do you think? Well, you have had a great deal of experience in this. Is the business more competitive than it used to be, do you think? Well, I don't know how people survive. I don't even have no, uh, you know, when I... When I was here, and I know it doesn't fit anymore, but when I got to New York, I stayed in a room and paid $6 a week. Uh, it was big enough to, I mean, it was so small, I did everything in this little room. I lived in, on a little cot, and I put the clothes, hung them on the side of the wall, and, and, I, and I peed in the sink, and washed my hands, <laughs> and shaved, and everything. It was all, I didn't have to move, because I, oh, I so couldn't the, move. Oh, so but at the same right time, you're in town. Yeah, you're in town. <laughs> But the point is, people, uh, uh, the place, the yeah. first place that I had was $55 a cold water flat, yeah. and that would, that would be $800 today. 
And they're usually, most actors nowadays uh, uh, have to live with somebody else. Mm -hmm. I don't know how young actors do it. I really don't, I don't know either. how they manage to do either. it. Probably a lot of them stay out in California. I, I, moved, to, I moved to L.A. and started doing some film and TV, and that allows me, I'm, I can afford now to come back and do a play. Mm -hmm. That's how I've been doing it. I did Grease on Broadway. I was doing one of the lead roles in a Broadway show, and I was living with four people. And I was a lead <laughs> in a broad, hit Broadway show. Right. And I was living with four people because I couldn't pay my, and, and our rent wasn't that much, you know, mm -hmm. but I mean, it was so much in your salary. And then I also moved to L.A. and made residual. Not to L.A. And now, <laughs> just and like now, money you know, meant. Uh, standard and I would have done hairspray for nothing. So you, you know? have to love this. Yeah. This has got to oh, be a passion. You have to. You oh, have to. Anything the passion else. is yeah, really That's the only reason why actors right. should yeah. do it. Yeah. Because they really love it. That's the only thing that's going to keep you doing it. That's right. Because I had a teacher, Dr. Bella Itkin in Chicago. She said, if there's anything else that mm. you can do, you will find yourself doing it. So, you know. To love it. It's your passion yeah. that keeps you here and working for a little bit of money. And well, you've mm -hmm. managed to do a little of everything, so you've spread it out because you mm -hmm. can write, direct, act. Maybe that's is that easier rather it's than easier. saying oh, I'm just going to be. Yeah, actor? it is. I mean, it's, it, I, I, it makes life more varied, which I think is good. And I mean, if you if you loved and I love doing all those things, um, <clears throat> and like you say, if you love doing them, then you have mm -hmm. to do them. There came a point in my career where I had to direct. And, and write. I just had to, and I didn't know why I did necessarily. Um, I just had to do it, so I did it. Um, I made it sound so easy, didn't I? Yes. Yeah, so I, did. <laughs> I just did it. <laughs> but I, I, I never would have written. I had to do it any well. <laughs> <laughs> had to do it well, and I did. I did. <laughs> They're modest. Yeah. Yes. I wrote three solo plays, but I never would have written any plays if I had work that, that if I had work here that I that mm. fulfilled me. You know, um, I had lots of work. I was always working. But I just needed work that fulfilled me as an artist as I grew. And when I realized that some of my best work was in class, you know, then I thought, well, what am I doing? I cannot keep complaining about this. I cannot keep complaining. I have to do something, even if I just create. And I created the first play not to make it a big play and bring it to New York or whatever. I just created it so I could have something to exercise my instrument with. How know? did you learn to do that? Where did you learn writing? Um, I'm a storyteller. Mm -hmm. I come from storytellers. And I use that oral tradition, that storytelling thing, in order to tell my stories. I tell my play for like a year before I even write it down so theaters know what it's going to be. It takes me two weeks to write it down after I've told it for a year or a year and a half. Mm -hmm. But I tell it. I go, I go places. I walk down. I'm writing the, the, my new play now. I'm writing it. has six characters. And I'm writing it as I walk to work every day. You know, just talking to myself and talking to people and going to dinner and taking hikes. Because my whole thing is that I am an actor, an actor, and I'm using my instrument to write this evening of theater. That's what I do. Awesome. Didi, what about working in the Sopranos and the theater? Shall I? You. Are we? You. What about Didi. working in the Sopranos and the theater? Um, well, they're not at the same time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sopranos is done. Now I do the play, and then as soon as we, we close the play, I go back to Sopranos. When do you do the Sopranos? Where do you do? Uh, in Queens, mostly. It's Silver Cup Studios, over the 59th Street. So that you can work in the theater and do that sure. as well. Mm -hmm. You told me you liked doing both of them. I do. 
They're completely different. You must. But I love them. Yeah. I love We're going them to continue on this in a moment, but first, we have to take a short break, and Isabel Stevenson is going to tell us uh, some more about the American Theatre Wing. Before we get back to the American Theatre Wing working the theatre seminar on performance, I would like to remind you that these seminars are only one of the many year-round programs that the Wing undertakes. You are probably familiar with the American Theatre Wing's Tony Award, given for achievement of excellence in the Broadway theatre. We also have important grants program, providing aid <laughs> to off and off-off-Broadway theatres. We now offer six different scholarships for students to pursue studies in the theater arts. We have an expanded career guide program for beginning professionals. As a long-established charity, dating back from World War I and again in World War II, when we operate our famous stage door canteens, all of our programs are designed to reward and promote excellence in the theater, to introduce young people and their families to theater and the magic it unfolds. We take pride in the work we do and are grateful to our members and everyone whose contributions help make possible the dynamic programs of the American Theatre Wing. We are proud to be a part of this exciting industry as we continue to provide services to the theatre and to the community. And so now, let's return to our panel on performance and our moderator, Pia Lindstrom. Pia? Well, we are now going to hear some questions from the audience. And our first question, I believe, is going to be directed to Edie Falco. Hi, my name is Heather Lind. Um, I was curious about your transition from Broadway to television. I understand you had to make a choice between Sideman on Broadway and The Sopranos. I was just curious about that. Yeah. Um, that was really rough, actually. Those were very rough days uh, to not be able to have been doing Sideman for almost four years at that point in various incarnations. And then once it actually got to Broadway, I wasn't able to follow it there because I was under contract to Sopranos. It was not a decision I, I had anything to do with. It was contract, contractual. Um, I, had, you know, I had people telling me to walk out of the Sopranos contract. Oh, just go and do Sideman on Broadway, which I think at this point would have been a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad it worked out the way it did. But uh, it's usually, it's, uh, these decisions are often made for you according to schedules and all that kind of stuff. So. Mm-hmm. And we have another question now coming from this young man. Hi, I'm Andy Donald, and my question is for the panel. I was just wondering how you guys maintain the freshness and spontaneity of a, spontaneity of a performance over eight shows a week, and then, especially in the case of Mr. Cullum, how you do it over a year, <laughs> how you do it over a year and a half, and when is it time to leave a show? That's your question. Well. <laughs> It's extremely difficult for me to keep up for eight performances right now because I'm only doing six. <laughs> uh, and believe me, those two performances I'm not doing are very hard to keep my concentration on. Sure. But uh, uh, the, the company that I'm in, I like doing this show, and uh, it's uh, I've done long runs in, in the past, and uh, it, it's just a uh, it's, I guess, a, a technique that you develop over mm. the years. If you really like what you're doing and you uh, and you're, you're proud of what you're doing, you're not going to you're not going to want to do a bad show. So you figure ways to keep fresh. And uh, even though I'm not a method actor, I do use uh, kind of the, my own my own feelings to, uh, uh, to 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 make the show slightly different all the time. 
and uh, so there's a certain variety. What might not be, um, uh, make much difference to anybody except me and maybe a couple of people on the stage who'd like to kill me, but, uh, <laughs> uh, it helps keep the performance fresh because I do a little something different uh, in the long run all the time. And you go through periods, I'm mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I have a, I get, I get, I get weeklies, I get monthlies. And I get uh, I go through a bad period about every three months, and then I go through a bad period every six months, and uh, you get over them, and uh, they, they don't last too long. You just fight against them. I, I could, I'm sure, I'd rather hear what some of these other people have to say about it. Edie, what what? What do you, you keep it fresh? <laughs> All right. Okay, let's move right along. All right, moving right along <laughs> to do eight shows a week. Um, I also did the six show a week schedule in Saigon, but now I'm doing eight. And it's not easy. It's r it really isn't because there's a temptation to let boredom set in mm -hmm. and and to just fall into the comfort zone of just doing the exact same thing, just to get through that show and then to get through the next one if you have one that night if you're doing a matinee. Um, but sometimes what what usually helps me is to leave work at work, and when I go home I do stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with work so that when I do get there it's it just hits me and it's like oh okay this is gonna be a different thing every day and then because I don't think about work the whole day until I get to the theater um, it you know everything just kinda happens when you're on stage and especially when understudies start going on because they are different people you can't do the same thing and mm -hmm. you obviously have to react the way they would read a line or throw a line at you and you know, if, if, say, the person that you're normally performing with throws fastballs or fastball a curve in a, a certain sequence, they might throw it a, cer a different way, so you have to learn to catch it in a different mm. way, too. Hmm. Do you have any tricks to keep it fresh? Well, I think, the, I think that it's... Um, yeah, I try to make Edie laugh on stage. Oh, okay. <laughs> you took really I'm fantastic. incredibly professional. Never go. No, I think that the key. I think Unbearable. the key thing is, like like John said, you know, you are a different person all the t every day. You come and you bring whatever, whoever, whatever your feelings are that day. You c they can't help sort of, but infuse that performance. I think. But I think it's very much about um, talking to, always talking to the other actor, and really listening to the other mm -hmm. actor. And if you, do, if both of those things mm -hmm. are happening, it will be different every time. It can't help but be different every time. And also, the audience is different. The audience being, in our play, is the third character. Mm. So, like you said, the second character. Um, that because the audience is different, your performance is going is going to be different. Mm -hmm. You're going to modulate that performance sometimes to an. You feel an audience is reticent. You're going to maybe take things a little more slowly and mm -hmm. maybe yeah. bring them in and right. and then you know take them where you want to go. Um, and sometimes. They'll, you know, so you don't know ultimately who's leading the performer, the, the audience or the performer necessarily. Um, so I think f for that reason, because it is live, it's different. It can't help but be different every time. Sure, yes, if, if you're listening. But um, I know for, I agree with everything everyone said. But in addition to that, I have a warm-up that I do every evening. I, I get to the theater an hour and a half before the show, and I start this there are levels to my warm-up, and they change as the, as the play goes on, and you know, according to what I need to make it fresh and to get me to performance level um, by eight o'clock. Well, give us an example of one thing that you might do. I mean, well, I, I don't want to get specific about it because it changes. But I mean, there are there are <laughs> vocal warm-ups, there are okay. uh, physical, there are um, exercises that I do that. Um, that freshen images in my and get my sensory
thing happening, and it's, you know. Meditation? No. No, oh. that, that doesn't That no, doesn't work. That doesn't, uh, but I do <laughs> things for relaxation. Painful. I do relaxation. things for resting up as opposed to resting. So that, that sort of helps. But in general, for me, it's what Stanley said about that listening and, and really, if you listen, every night it's different. Well, I get to kiss Matthew Morrison all night long, so I really it stays fresh for me. <laughs> and we like in, and we just keep kissing, and then it started off with one kiss a show, and now we're up to like eight kisses. So, so I'm hoping by the end that you know that's really what keeps it fresh, and I look forward to that part. So that's pretty much all I look forward to. Like, uh, <laughs> lots of kissing. So, but I'm actually one of I'm very cons I'm scarily I don't want to say scarily, but I'm very consistent in what in my show, especially with hairspray, because I'm more I'm more of the engine of the show, where it's like everybody's funny around me and there's all this craziness around me, and I'm like, okay, but here's the line you need to hear, and this is this is going to carry the story. So, my my reaction time and my f keeping it fresh is really just listening to what the other actors are doing and then waiting for the audience to stop laughing at them and continue on <laughs> with the next line. So, for me, I'm I'm pretty much I'm like I stay try to stay very consistent and very almost like grounded in rock form, almost so that they can all play around me, but th but we still have where the show's going. So I've never had that position before in a show, because I'm always the, I'm so much, I'm so much more of a wacky sidekick, and I'm so much more of a the best friend, so that was the scariest part for this, of this show for me, was, no, you're, you're, everyone's going to be coming up to you, so at this point now, you've got to keep the train going, and keep the motion going, and if your energy's down, Every, you know, so that's so I'm really good about really being consistent, but it's so much about the audience. If the audience, if they're not laughing at the first ten jokes in the show, you know you got to either you need to like don't wait for those laughs, don't hold, and people get into rhythms of waiting. They know, oh, this is so, oh, Harvey's gonna say something really funny here, so everybody waits and does their freezes, and I'm like, no, there isn't gonna be a laugh. They didn't <laughs> laugh yet, so you got to really, really, really be focused to the audience and how they're giving you. And, and I mean, matinee audiences, some days are younger audiences for our show. It's more kids or, or older people where you're like, oh, they're going to get this joke. So you got to, you know, you're going to wait longer or, or just the audience's energy. You know, you can, you just really, I find that that's so much part of the show. So because of that, every night it is so different. I feel like you're in them. Well, I think that that is, is more uh uh, more of a problem in a long run show mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. anything else okay. is the fact that yeah. <clears throat> uh, even even people that have done a lot of theater have a tendency to come off after the first moment in the show if they've been in the show for a while and they, de they decide that the audience <laughs> is no good. Yes. Yes. Oh, that is me, so that is that's the worst. The that's the hardest yeah. thing to fight against. You, there's oh, I say there's always there's somebody out there <laughs> that's going to you better play to because it's going to come back and bite you in the butt. Yeah. You, don't, <laughs> you don't do a good performance. You have to. That's the toughest thing is to do a good show when, when the audience, when you think the audience is not good yeah. enough for mm -hmm. you. And that happens <laughs> yeah. in the long a lot, run. Yeah. You've got yeah, to constantly fight against that. And you should never let down. And I won't do that. that yeah. I've mm -hmm. learned that the hard way. What? Sorry, go on. <laughs> go on. I don't know what you have to say about it. Oh. Uh, I kind of enjoy sometimes when the audience isn't very active. Like mm. yesterday's matinee, for example. They were, like there was they were dead. There was dead. There was actually a point where a laugh, a huge laugh, comes at one point. Stan said his line. There was absolutely no laugh. And he looked at me and went. 
Mine again. Yeah. 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 I'm like, all right, mm. they can join us, or clearly they're not going or whatever. Yeah. So now I can actually. Then you really just, right. do it for just you have, have a very full emotional yeah. Yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what I do to fight against it. Is yep. to play, uh, and and it is true. I get a I, like yesterday's performance the same for me. Uh, although, I, well, anyway, um, <laughs> I didn't do the matinee. <laughs> <laughs> how, many, how many shows a week do you do? I don't know. I'm just using This is not being broadcast. No. <laughs> we have another That's question here from this young man. Um, hi, my name is Graham Skipper. My question is for the panel. I was wondering what your views are on the amplification of shows. Oh, sound. Okay. Ooh, no. okay. I love my sound guys. My, I love my union. I'm not going to discuss sound at all today. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody here want to I'll do take it. it on? Yes. I'll yeah. do it. Um, <laughs> there, 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 there are two schools of thought, and we have people in our theater who just disdain having to wear a microphone and absolutely hate it, hate being amplified, saying that I've trained for so long to learn how to amplify with my own body. I should be allowed to do it. And... And, and my, th my school of thought is this, winter, flu season, mm -hmm. microphone, best friend. <laughs> um, there, there are a lot of different ways of doing it. Eastern I mean, philosophy. Right? <laughs> 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 and I chant this with candles in front of me, with my legs crossed. And, you know, but, I mean, but in all seriousness, I, I mean, how do you guys hide microphones? But I guess you don't. <laughs> don't <add. laughs> Especially when you're doing a musical, um, and you have the orchestra, and even without amplification, they can really overpower you. Um, you'd better be Ethel Merman, or you won't be heard without amplification. And she was one of these rare people that I've been told that could just fill a house with her voice and with her presence without a microphone. And I'm like, how did she do it? I mean... How can I do it? I'm five foot three. I don't know how I'm going to be able to reach the back of the house without amplification. But in Saigon, when we did it in London, and the house was 2,250 hmm. people. Or is it 2,550 <laughs> people? But it was the, one of the biggest houses in London. And because of the way they were built, those old houses, they've got the best acoustics. So they really minimized the amount of amplification that they gave us to the point where you could feel like you were singing in a vacuum. So you didn't know necessarily if you were in tune or not. So my thing is, amplification's okay if it helps, you know, to reach the back of the house, but you have to work to get, to get something out. Because I also disdain it when an actor is over-amplified, because you might as, well just put this, might as well just put a CD on and, and have them lip-sync on stage. And, and, that's, and that's not theater, and that's, and that's cheating an audience for me to, to, do, it, to do it that way, because they expect that live performance coming from the stage, and they want to hear it like it's coming from the stage, not from a speaker all the way in the back. Any other thoughts on mics? Well, I agree. I think that, that the technique of miking people has gotten a lot better. It's interesting to me that we've always had the equipment on Broadway, but we haven't had the operators that could really use it, like the rock stars or the ones mm -hmm. who, that learned how to use sound much better than we did. Uh, and I, I go back to when I would work with an actress 
uh, who was wearing a, what they called in those days a Vega. Is that what they, they used to call them? Vega mics. Uh, chest mic, and, and, I, and I would play from the front mics. So I would, I would sing like this, and then when I talk, I would sing like this. I did private lives. I shouldn't tell this story. I'll tell it. I did private lives with Burton and Taylor, and I had scenes with Elizabeth Taylor. Nobody knew I was on stage at the time. When I was <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, played this, we played the opera house in, 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 in Washington, this enormous house, and it was extraordinary. Because when you're rolling, because they had, they had to mic her so loudly, and she came out beautifully. And I would go, it was ringing off the walls. So, but, but they've gotten a lot better with the use of mics. And you have, to, you, have to, you have to join them now. I think the thing that, that to, to, to remember also is I've never done a musical and never will do one. <laughs> you hope I never do one. <laughs> um, We've got a place for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like with our play, with a, with a, with a straight play, I think that um, you know we're in an old house. We're in the Belasco, which is 1907, and I, the acoustics are very, very good. But the problem is that that plays are very different now from the way they were in 1907, and, and acting is very different now. Mm -hmm. Acting is very naturalistic, and a lot of our play is a lot of it is theatrical. Certainly, uh, what my character is doing, but there are moments of tr of real, real intimacy here, and that almost a cinematic intimacy. Um, and I think that we have booster mics on the stage, which we we do make use of. I think I think it's important to have them because. The style of acting is very different than it was when that house was built, and I think you, you have to account for that. I, I prefer things not to be amplified, if, if possible, but a, a little help that isn't noticed, I think, um, is, is okay because of where things are now. <coughs> Next question. Hi, I'm Sarah Price, and this question is for the panel. Uh, when you've had to audition for roles in the past, maybe when you first started out as actors, how did you go about choosing a monologue when you had to bring one in? Where would you find them? Uh, how long did it take you to pick a monologue? Okay, who, had a, who has a monologue? I came from drama monologue. school with five. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I did it. That's just like, and never used them. Yeah. Oh, did you have a monologue? I, I would read something and then I'd end up making stuff up. <laughs> like, uh -huh. I did. I like. I was never. No, I never did monologues. Did Stanley? Did you have a monologue? I did. I did have monologues, but they weren't really. Uh, I mean, I had them at school, and but they, we weren't. But I never, never really never used them used in New them. York. Oh, they they just give you something to mm -hmm. to do. You know, seldom were you were they used. Mm -hmm. I always auditioned for musicals. I had songs instead of monologues. Oh, okay. So, so you had a song, but you had a song that you had chosen. Sometimes yes, um, depending on what I was auditioning for. Um, when I was auditioning for Saigon when I was 17, um, I came in with On My Own thinking, it's a Bublil and Schoenberg show. I'd better come in with a Bublil and Schoenberg oh, song. Oh. And then oh. they asked me to sing something else. Oh. And I'm like, um, <laughs> and I said, uh, complete blank out. I said, oh, okay, uh, can I do The Greatest Love of All by Whitney Houston? And I, and I, just, I thought I was going to have to do it a cappella. And then by sheer divine something or other, somebody left their music on the piano. Mm. No. And I used it. And no. it was perfect. It was in my key. <laughs> I sang it and I got the It part. was meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a monologue? Um, 
it's been such a long time since we've had to use monologues um, to audition. As Stan said, they give you stuff. I get an anxiety attack just thinking about it. <laughs> those days. But what I would recommend, if that's what I'm being asked to do in any way here, um, is to pick something uh, close to yourself, something that you might actually, around your age and the lifestyle that you might understand. Uh, because uh, those are the things, I think those are ways, the best way to represent yourself if that's what you're being asked to do, rather than doing a huge stretch. My experience was picking stuff that was close to me. Did you have a monologue well, or two? Uh, no, actually, when I came to New York, I had such a strong Tennessee accent. I talked like this, kind of like this, and, and the only time it disappeared was when I would do Shakespeare. <laughs> which, uh, so, and that's all I was in and, and, uh, uh, for, for a few years. And you didn't. I don't ever remember auditioning for a, a, a play. You didn't get to audition for plays. You had to be invited to, to is when I first came here. Musicals you could audition, and I only knew the last 16 bars of On the Street Where You Live for <laughs> two years. That's all I was <laughs> you saying that? Then I used to screw it up every time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, my name is Christina Lind. This question is for Stanley Tucci. In your opinion, what are the major differences in your acting or directing choices from film to theater? Next. <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't. Um, the difference between the the choices in acting as as an actor uh, and or directing, acting and directing. Yeah. I gravitate uh, as an actor. I think as an actor, I gravitate towards things that are. <coughs> um, that are going to be that are going to be challenging, and that are that are going to um, make use of a part of myself that maybe I haven't used before. Um, I, I, you hope never to repeat yourself. Of course, you you do end up repeating yourself sometimes, inevitably, because that maybe there there aren't parts available, um, and there ha that has I have had that happen at certain points in my career, um, and that was one of the things that actually brought me to directing. Was that I was feeling dissatisfied with what was available to me as an actor, though I had worked pretty consistently. Um, I was finding that I was not satisfied, creatively satisfied. So I felt the need to <coughs> be satisfied in a different, in a different way. Uh, I, I look now to things that are really going to challenge me and things that I have, have never done before. Um, and as a director, I am uh, um, interested in directing films that are I suppose outside the studio system, not suppose, that are outside the studio system, films that are more intimate uh, films um, that are not plot-driven films but are character-driven films and have characters that are ambiguous, that aren't sort of black and white. Um, and usually the ending is ambiguous also. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that attracts me. And those really ultimately are the roles that attract me too. The role of the hero, quote-unquote, doesn't attract me. And I'll never be cast in it, so it's perfect. <laughs> so it's, uh, but I think roles that have ambiguity um, and complexity, uh, roles that you can't, qu that the audience can't quite put their finger on, those are the those are the most interesting, <coughs> ultimately. Yes. Uh, and to wrap up, the wrap um, up. <laughs> uh, question for the panel: How do you, uh, what do you think or or hope that the theater is heading towards today? Um, New York City theater, Broadway, off-Broadway, what do you think? The future of the American theater. Yeah. Who wants to tackle it? 
<laughs> John, you've been around. No, oh, I can only talk about the past. The past. <laughs> <laughs> My hope oh, is that it outlives me. <laughs> uh, and it will. It will. It will. Believe me, it's, it, it will. I, I have great faith in the, in the theater. But well, Leah, you've been around doing. I've been around. A you've lot. been around line too. You started yeah, so young, so you actually have a tremendous amount of experience. How does it? I, how I just wish there was more. I just wish there was more musical theater out in L.A. because I'll be moving there after I finish Flower oh. Drum Song because I'm getting married next year. Oh, uh, my fiance's out there, so of course I'm like, woo, really sad being here. Um, but you know, I, I just, I just, I'm just, I'm just really happy with how theater is changing now. Um, we have a couple of um, chorus guys in our show who remember the day when they would be the only Asians, and there's maybe one or two of them, in an audition. And now they come into auditions, and there's a whole room full of, of, of people who are taking on the challenge of being actors in the theater. And of course, I'm going, yay, there's more of us now, you know? And, and it's, it's the community is just getting bigger, and there's a lot of interest in the, from the Asian community to get into this business. So I just hope that it continues. More musical theater in L.A. That's, that's mm -hmm. all I wish for. Most of you, well, you're just starting, so I... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. we'll, we'll see you in a long time. But what, well, I would like the opportunity change? to work in more plays. Yes. I would... I miss yes. having... Um, I miss living in New York City, and I feel like... Um, I know I, I moved to Los Angeles because I did not have work no. to do here, satisfying work to do here. Um, and I would like to see far more plays for everyone, but especially for people of color. And not just plays for people of color, but plays that include people of color. And mm -hmm. my play the other night, um, a woman came out and she goes, well, Ethel, it wasn't a black play after all. <laughs> you know, but what's going on here? What's, you know, it was, it's, a, it's a wild thing that's happening here in this theater right now for me, that I have to live far away and come back and do maybe a play a year or, or write them. You know what I mean? For myself and for friends and for... I mean, I know yeah, that's what has to happen, to is that. we have to write them. <laughs> yes, you have to write but, them. But um, they, they are being written, but they have to be produced. They can't just be workshopped. They're being workshopped all over the country. Mm -hmm. Wonderful plays. But th someone has to take a chance and say, and we're going to produce this play, so that everyone in New York can see it. I'm always so surprised when an August Wilson play comes out, and there will be six or eight African-American actors, and they are so good. And I always say, where have they been? Where are they working? Mm -hmm. yes. They are so yes. incredible. That yeah. has to change. There was they a time when it was only for August Wilson and you. It's, <laughs> it's got to change, you know. Yeah. It's just got it's to change. Big. And uh, our playwrights are doing really great work, and, uh, but more of them need more exposure. Mm -hmm. Because I really want to be a part of the new um, American classics for the stage. Mm -hmm. I want to help create those so that we don't... I love our revivals. I, I, I love our, our, the, the work that's been put... up before so that we can just do that. We know that's fabulous. That's wonderful. We can just do that. It's flawless now. But I'd love to be a part of the new American classics that are about to be born. That's a great place to end. We all hope for, uh, you know, optimism in the theater, and I think you're right. Thank you so very much. This was great. I learned a lot, and it was a lot of fun. You're all <laughs> very good. Thanks so much. This has been the American Theater Wing seminar on working in the theater. We thank you so much for watching. We come from the Graduate Center of City University at New York. Thank you.